The last page has been turned on my most recent read, and it's another week, and yet another book. It's the beginning of November already. I kind of can't believe that the year is going this quickly, but looking out the window, you can see it's definitely winter. A few very anticipated novels on my reading list are about to be released, and I've had a notification about one of them, though not the one I really wanted. And I have actually been reading Up a Storm, which I am very happy about. Anyway, let's get to the book. It's the 2012 novel In the Tall Grass by Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill. Here to talk about it with me, because you know I am not a big horror fan, is Lorraine from the horror podcast Once Upon a Nightmare. Hi, Lorraine. Hello. So here we are, as spoiler-free as we can be, definitely opinion-filled and ready to roll, all of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Grass was originally published as a two-part short story in two summer issues of Esquire magazine in 2012, which when you think about the overall length of the novella is not that surprising. Hmm. So, and it was made into a film in 2019, which we discussed in an episode that Lorraine will be releasing very, very soon. So to give you a very brief summary of the book, In the Tall Grass begins with a sister and brother who pull off to the side of the road after hearing a young boy crying for help from beyond the tall grass. Within minutes, they are disoriented in deeper than seems possible, and they've lost one another. The boy's cries are more and more desperate. What follows is a terrifying, entertaining, and masterfully told tale as only Stephen King and Joe Hill can deliver. It is, I have to say, uh, it's very masterfully told because Stephen King really has a way with words. I'm not so familiar with Joe Hill's writing, though he has has created Horns, which was made into a film with Daniel Radcliffe, and Nosferatu, which is a TV series, as well as writing the comic book Lock and Key, which I have read a few issues of. Did you know any of that? No, when you said lock and key, I was like, oh, I do not know that. Ah, I also oh. didn't realise that he wrote horns. <laughs> no, did I? You're, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> well, horns is a horror movie. I know, but I didn't know that. <laughs> I haven't done anything with some horns, so that's my excuse. Yeah, this is the second short story that Joe and Stephen wrote together. And it really is a very short story. It's about 40, maybe 50 pages, which surprised me because there is a lot happening in this short story. Yeah, I was, because I read it on my Kindle and it was like, uh, says something like 63 pages or something. And then I got, I was on like 42 and it's like, you have one minute left. And I was like, what? But they, because it gave you a little snippet of Dr. Sleep. Yes. At the end of it. And I was like, ah, like that. But yeah, it was really, and that's coming from me. But that's how I like it because you know me and sitting down for yes. a long time doesn't really work very well. But I did it this morning. I just sat there 
I was quite impressed with myself. But then my husband and child were away, so <laughs> that made it a lot easier. <laughs> it does indeed. So this story is told in a very involved and very quick way. And if you've seen the film, which we have, obviously, we have both watched and have recorded an episode on, which comes out after this episode, and there will be spoilers in that, but there won't be in this, um, <laughs> there are massive changes between the book and the film. And I would actually say that the book is more graphically hor horrifying than the film. Whereas the film I found more confusing. Yeah, I did find the film confusing, but I didn't find this like that graphic at all. One scene, which I don't know if it's a spoiler, so I, I won't say it. Yeah. The scene. Yes. I'm gesturing. Is that a spoiler? Yes. Oh, bugger. Because um, I really wanted to talk about that. Well, um, we can talk about the fact that Bex, um, one of the characters, Bex DeMuth, is, who's one of the twins, is seriously heavily pregnant. And yeah, she's on her way, not, yeah. yeah, on her way with her twin brother, Cal, to stay with her aunt and uncle. Irish until, twins. Yeah, they are. Well, they're not really Irish twins. No. Because just, they're, they're so months, close. Yeah, they're 18 yeah. months apart in age and Irish twins are born in the same year. But yeah. it is, um, I, I found that definition a bit startling and thought, wow, that's factually incorrect. <laughs> that was the first thing that struck me when I was reading it. But it is, um, they are on their way to their aunt and uncles where mm. she is going to decide what she's going to do with this baby. Mm. And she only briefly mentions her boyfriend, Travis, who in the film has a massive role to play. Yeah. Yeah. That's because I was waiting for that. And so was he I. Just, he doesn't appear like it doesn't happen um, in this. And I also thought that in the film, I kind of felt almost uncomfortable about the, the relationship that the brother had towards her. Whereas in this, I didn't think that came across. And there was one particular line that I wrote down that I thought was a bit strange and kind of just that one line summed up, summons up what they did in the film where he goes, they did everything together, but he wasn't responsible for the bun in the oven. So basically not everything. And I'm like, that's a really strange thing to say about siblings, but because I'd watched the movie and how much they, the brother was a bit, you know, over the top with his sister it almost seemed like he felt a bit more than that and I, I'm not saying that they had some sort of weird relationship but I, I just think he was a bit too involved and I think that line for me kind of summed up the movie relationship more than this one but there, was, there was also there was also reference made to it in the flashback we had of Travis and Bex having a conversation mm. when yes. she's telling him that she's pregnant yeah. and Travis comments about how he thinks that maybe her brother may have been in the room at the time. He wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. So the, uh, other people obviously get that particular vibe from him that mm -hmm. you don't get it from him in the book as you do in the film. There's no. none of that. It's not massively creepy. But then there are a lot of things in this book. I think the scenes with Ross were Ooh. the bits that came across far more explicit i think yes. in the in the book than in the film there's far he's despicable and disgusting character in the film 
But in the book, he is far more, I think. I agree with that. I agree. And with I don't that. want to go too far because, though this is obviously not a children's book by any stretch of the imagination, I don't want to give anybody else the nightmares that I've given myself for tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that because obviously in the book it's, um, oh, what's his name? In the film, it's. In the film, um, sorry. Patrick Wilson. Wilson, yeah. And when you see him in the film, even though, you know, it's messed up and stuff, he kind of has this bit of a friendly demeanor about him. Whereas in this, even though I knew it was Patrick Wilson, I didn't picture his face because I think he's got a nice face. Yeah. And, you know, I, why, like I said in the film, he was a bit gross. It, this, he's like disgusting. The way he speaks to her, the way he says he's going to do certain things to her on um, the rock and all this kind of stuff. I think he went a bit too, it was very rapey. Yes, it was. It was, it, as I said, it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. There was mm. something about him that in the, in the film, he was unlikable and he was, yeah. um, there were certain things about him that were insidiously snide in the book. He is made 10 times worse. Yeah. Because of the way he acts towards Bex, obviously, because that's the only interaction we see. In the film, there are a lot more interactions. They meet up and they do manage to um, encounter each other again. Yeah. Albeit it's not straightforward. And there seems to be a very, very strong time loop element in the film. In the book, that doesn't exist. Yeah, I I think I'll be honest with you. I while I preferred the book because of how it was kind of because I I'm not a big fan of like filler and let let's you know make this longer than it needs yeah. to be. And I felt the film was like that. It so was an I appreciate hour and forty minutes. Yeah, so I appreciated um, I appreciated the fact that in the book it just kind of bam bam it just gave us the story and I didn't have to really wait for it maybe that shows my impatience oh no no um, cool I think it it made me feel the film especially had a very Peter Jackson doing the Hobbit in three three hour films feel to it that's a good way of putting it actually um but yeah so I but there were parts of it that I after reading this I think they did well within the film you know and But then there were certain things that I didn't, I mean, I might have, I can't remember what we said in the episode, but just little things like when they talk about how they park up at the church to go across the road into the, into the grass and that all the cars are like dirty, like they've been there for a while and there's nobody about. And it's like, why are all these cars there? Like it, I didn't get that they questioned and I don't think they did in the film because we did that quite a while ago, didn't we? We recorded it. So I'm we just trying to in, remember. Oh, gosh, good grief. Back in August, I think. Yeah. So I'm just trying to remember it. But I felt like if you pull into a, a car park and it's in a remote place and there's all these cars and they're all abandoned and they're all covered in lots of dirt and people are screaming from a field, wouldn't you kind of be like, oh, hang on a second. Like, this is a bit weird. And then he talks about the burger with the maggots coming out of it, which we don't find out for a bit longer. So I, I felt like there wasn't enough like concern about what is actually going on here. They just plowed on in. Yeah. You know, and I there thought no that was a bit strange. 
Yeah. And you couldn't see because they couldn't see anything. And that's something that I find really claustrophobic about reading the book and watching the film is I felt myself in that situation where you can't see where you're going. It's like a maze. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that's it. And that is one of the things that I would definitely say is a Stephen King, Stephen King special is the mm. atmospherics. He is incredibly mm. good at the atmospherics. You think about the body, which is another short story mm. or, um, the atmosphere, the atmosphere he meant, the tension he built in misery. Yeah. He is incredibly good at that. I mean, I'm not familiar with much of Joe Hill's novel work. Yeah. So I can't immediately go, oh, that is his writing. Whereas I can sit there and I can go, that screams Stephen King. And yeah. a lot of the atmosphere, the setting up the story with the cars in the car park and and the mentions of how much money people will have raised for the, the glamorous spire on the church. Those are two little tiny details that seem insignificant, but they have massive meaning when you read the rest of the story. No, I agree. And also, I think when we, because obviously they hear a little boy shouting and screaming and that's why they go in there in the first place Tobin. but also Tobin but also what kind of like would have made me step back again after the cars is they heard a woman saying no don't come in don't tell me to do that and I personally would have taken that at the time as this woman's doing bad things to the child and she doesn't want me to come in to save him even though actually what she was doing was, but the, the voice was basically telling you don't come in. So that would have been a confusion. That would have made me go in more because I would have thought, oh my God, this woman's going to hurt this child. I need to go in and save this little boy. Like, do you know what I mean? Do you remember? Do you yes, not know what I'm I do. Yeah. I do remember. <laughs> I'm trying to think, would I have done it? No. Um, mostly because I like to be able to see where I'm going. And as somebody who is of a shorter stature, that's not many places. So... <laughs> I think everyone was short for this. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd actually go into the tall grass. I mean, the one thing is, how did they hear it over the music that they were playing in the car? How did they hear him over the music, the engine and everything else? I thought they said they weren't playing it in the book or were they? They were playing they were playing some music in the book. Yeah. Yeah, well maybe the maybe the grass tries to draw you in yeah you that, I mean that's it isn't it there's so many little elements and it they're all controlled by this mysterious rock in the middle of the field I can't remember whether in the film and I only read this today like I said but we never really get an explanation for the rock do we we don't get an explanation for the rock though I believe it's tied into another creation by King oh interesting yeah, because a lot of his work. Oh, actually, yeah, because I watched um, the TV show. Was it Black Rock? Where uh, you're one from Misery, Annie is yeah, young. Annie. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Which yeah. is where he bases a lot of his books, Castle Rock. Yeah. Because it ties in with certain things, doesn't it? That was a great show, by the way. Um, but so, yeah, that would make, make sense for him to, to do that. So it would. He likes his um, connections, or no matter how tenuous they are. Yeah. One of his I, tools. I think as well, one thing it does really well is 
because you could imagine being lost in here and feeling so frustrated, especially when you can hear the people. And like in the film, you see them jump up. Remember, they jump up and, and they, they can do, see each other. They explain it in the yeah. book. Yeah. And so you can feel that frustration of, I can see you. You're right there. Stand still. I will come to you. Or you follow the voice. But they never seem to, I mean, obviously he meets Tobin and stuff, but they never it should be easier than what it is. And I, when I, that's what I like about this. I feel frustrated when I'm reading it because I'm like, they're just there. You can hear them. Why aren't you, you know? So I think he does a really good job of making you feel what they're feeling. Yeah. One of the biggest differences I'd say between this and the film is Mm. the motivation of the characters. Because while obviously Bex and, Cal are trying to help Tobin and his mother. Tobin isn't as innocent as he appears. He no. does have, yeah, he does have sinister motives. I felt he was more innocent in the film than in this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. More innocent in the film. Yeah. Because there's a lot of giggling, isn't there? They they talk about a lot of giggling yes. uh, a lot in this, in the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They talk about far more about the way that they seem to be very, very similar. Mm. And there is that connection. And the only one who seems to have not found the connection is Bex. She's the only one who seems to be aware. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I mean, there are certain scenes that we are not going to talk about partially because they are... um, horrific and partially because they could be considered massive spoilers you about the pregnancy one yeah uh, exactly (laughs) i know it is very frustrating but we try not to spoil it and you won't get the spoilers from the film either because they aren't the same they really i was surprised at how different they different they were there is i think there was a little similarity there so i did Yes, but then it was all considered, that was all um, hallucinations. Yeah, but I, 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 I was thinking when I was reading that, I was watching it at the same time in my head because of a certain scene. Yeah. So, yeah, I think once that they kind of get to that stage of it, up until then, it's scary, frustrating, what's going to happen. To, like, had you not read the uh, scene, had I not seen the film scary frustrating what's going to happen but once it hit that scene that we shall not talk about that is when it got into like horror territory for me it was and it was graphically horror it was was grotesque actually yeah but I think because I'd seen the film and what they did with regards to that scene I was picturing that and the way but the way they describe it um in the book like when they say salty when they talk, and yeah. obviously someone's listening to this and they haven't read it and they're like, what are you on about? Tell us. I'm not going to because Ray will kill me. But they <laughs> when they say the word salty, I'm like, Ew. what? Yeah. And yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I just find it quite a stressful thing to think about this book. I've just realized though, Stephen King likes his fields. Children of the corn. Is he, does he do 1922? Isn't that kind of in the, is that him? That's like in the Arsenal of Nowhere, isn't it? Not sure, but he wrote him? Children of the Corn. He did. And that's in the... Oh, he is. 
The only reason I don't know is it's set in a film, but I just put that on once. I didn't get to watch it. I just put it on briefly. And I remember there was a house surrounded by fields. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and isolation. Yes. Isolation is another thing he uses as a tool very often, even in, I mean, we've talked about it very, very briefly in the body. There is that element of isolation because they're in a small town. The body is found somewhere way out in the the middle of nowhere in the woods. Then you've got the shining, shining. you've got misery, Misery. you've got, oh, good grief, so many. Does he do Dreamcatcher? Yes. Isolation. Yep, exactly. That is a key tool, I think, with horror stories in particular, but also the ones that have a far more psychological hit to them. No, but that's what I love about his stuff. It does that. Because you know me, when it comes to horror, I like psychological horror. I love isolation because to me, isolation adds to the fear because where do you go? Who's going to hear you scream? And all that kind of stuff, whether when you're in the city, you feel like I could just run out into the street. People are there. Whereas when you're in the arsenal of nowhere. Which is very, very similar in many ways to um, the thing. Yes. Yes. It It does seem to be a very, very strong theme in an effective atmospheric horror. Yeah, because it plays on your own insecurities and fears, kind of like oh, hundred percent scream. You what? Sorry, it's kind of like the first ten minutes of Scream. Yeah, no, I agree, but I th- that's what draws things like draws me into things like this as well because I can also imagine, like when you watch anything Stephen King, obviously you know, not carry because I don't have those powers, but there's elements of it, I suppose. But like in general, stuff like this and the body and the uh, shining and stuff like that is you can imagine how you would act in those scenarios. You can imagine what you would do. No one to cry for help to. Exactly. And that's nobody. Yeah. And I love that. Like psychological horror is my favorite kind of horror. I think I don't need all the guts and the gore and all that kind of rubbish. I just want, you know, I just want my brain to be messed up. Sorry, that's <laughs> that's not weird at all. I say, looking at all my happy, beautifully bright coloured romance novels. Yeah, no, I just like to be. Uh, I do. I like all the. You like to be terrified. The... Yeah, but I like it to mess with my head. That's what I like about horror. I love horror that messes with your head, and I know that's. A... But then I think. <sighs> I, I've I've got quite a healthy brain. Do you know what I mean? No, but it doesn't mess with me the way it messes with you. Yes, I mean I'm because uh, I'm on my own. I shouldn't say that. No, but anyway, by the time this goes out, my husband will be back. But like, I will take I take precautions when I'm locking up and stuff like that. But I I without sound weird, I don't really have mental health issues. Do you know what I mean? So I think that when you watch a lot of psychological stuff. For you, it messes with you a bit more because you do. That sounds really, you know what I'm trying to say, Ray. Yeah, I know what you're trying to say. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I like it, but I know what you're trying to say. Uh, yeah, that. I mean, that is true. I can I can read a lot of horror, and I have done in the past. I don't read as much anymore because the horrors of true life have really come home to roost. Uh, so <laughs> I try to avoid it, but. 
I mean, this was one of those, it's a very, very quick read. Yes. It's not something I think I'd read again. No. No, but you don't, I, I, I wouldn't need to. Like, do you know what I mean? Because I know what it's about and I, you know, I just wouldn't. And this is me we're talking to when it comes to reading. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to read something different because I'm not a big sit down. Whereas I'm going to, reader. I'm looking at a book I can't wait to reread. I know when you told me it's like 650 pages, I'm like, oh God, I'll be dead before then. No, that, before that's, I finish next, that. that's the next <laughs> book in the series. This one's only 500, I think. I think it's 500. I'm going to open it just to see. And it's got beautiful, beautiful, it's 498. Hmm. So that's not too bad, but I've got to read it in time so I can read the sequel. Oh, very with nice. Everything fresh in my head. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Sad no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Anybody that knows me, I'm talking about Fourth Wing and Iron Flame. <laughs> yeah, I won't be reading that. The next book I'm going to read is Carrie. There you go. Yeah. And then we'll come on here and talk about it. They're like, why don't you just start a Stephen King podcast? <laughs> <laughs> because you wouldn't be able to read through all of the books. No. Not one no. a month anyway. No, I wouldn't have patience for it. I know like you're a book podcast and you, you know, people that listen are probably big book readers, but I just, you know me, I'm not a very, I just can't sit still. So that's why I like audio, audio books, because I can do stuff Why I'm. Well, think about how um, you reacted when I said, when we talked about potentially doing Christine and I said it was, I think it's about 560 pages or something. And you're like, no, <laughs> not happening. No, I just, I just wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to sit that long. That's, it's not the it's not the reading that's the problem. It's the somebody still. needs to come up with a device that you know you can walk and read and not yeah, get knocked a, over at the yeah, same it's time. A, it's called a book. Yeah, but I I I'm not you know I'm out and about, man. I used <laughs> get, to I'll get knocked to over to school, crossing two main roads, reading a book. Yeah, I'm surprised I'm stupid. still alive. To be fair, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I have to say, I think the funniest thing I remember about reading and crossing the road was there's um close to the central library in my town there mm. are two sets of traffic lights and a pedestrian crossing I came out of the library with a book I really really wanted to read and started reading it as I was walking down the street got to the crossing clicked on the um or clicked the button to wait for it to signal that I could cross the road I didn't have to look at it because it makes a noise heard them heard it make the noise carried on walking and walked straight into the traffic light not myself for six enough said <laughs> but i finished reading the book well not done. at that particular instant obviously i ended up in hospital but <laughs> i was fine i didn't hurt myself i just sent myself flying so that's road. why you are the way you are <laughs> no this was actually a few, only a few years ago but um yeah it's it's one of those things I think that everybody has their thing and for me sitting down reading a book is my idea of heaven but it's not everybody's and that's what I think um podcasts prove is there are so many people out there with multitude of hobbies and interests and they talk about what they want to and they'll listen to what they want to 
Exactly. And I think that's why something like this, that's short, it's better for people like me. Like I know we're going to think about doing carry, which I think is a couple of hundred pages, like 200 pages or something. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, I just, for me, I just, I don't have the patience for it. Cause I'm just not a patient person. I like to be doing physic. I like to be up yeah. and about and partnering about, and, uh, I'm not very good at just sitting. But when you think about how long this took you to read, it didn't take me that long. Yeah, it's. I think it's one hour and forty minutes audiobook. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it didn't take me that long. No, that's it exactly. I, can read I read good. it in my lunch. <laughs> I read it in my lunch break and then picked up another book. Yeah, no, no, it didn't take that long. I um. Yeah, I did stop a couple of times to make some notes. Had I not done that, it would have been quicker. Because I, I as well, I'm very forgetful. So I was worried that I would actually forget some of these. One thing I did want to ask about it. Yeah. Do you think the locals knew about the grass? I do wonder, but how many locals had fed the grass, grown the grass? Maybe the grass was protection for them against the rock and its abilities. Yeah, because you think that kind of grass will get cut at some point because it looks like a field for a farmer. Yeah, but then everywhere was abandoned. Yeah. I just wondered that. So maybe it had been a town at some point, but who knows how long the rock had been there? Who knows how long the grass had been there? Maybe the town was in the field. Because in the the movie, you have the mud people, don't you? You do indeed. And you also have, on the other side of the road, a garage or a a gas station that is surrounded by very very tall grass yeah that's the thing I mean how do you do you prefer or did you prefer the book to the film or the film to the book I'll be honest with you it wasn't there wasn't really a preference I know that sounds probably a bit strange but I enjoyed both and I'll be honest I think I think the book I enjoyed more but I did like the Travis bit of the film. Yeah. I thought that was a... It was an interesting introduction. It felt as though that was an element that perhaps needed to be in the book and wasn't, but only because we knew it was in the film. Yeah, I think if I had read this first, that's the thing. I think if we had read this first, I may have felt different because I know you get a lot of people that, you know, they read the book and then they watch the film and they're disappointed uh, with various things. I don't I don't know the character interpretation that they have issues with whereas I know this sounds weird but I like to watch the film before I read the book no everybody has their preference I'm I'm a book before film girl but to be honest I think if I'd read this book first I don't know if I'd have been able to bring myself to watch the film oh because of the one scene we shall not talk about because of the one scene we shall not talk about and also some of the disturbing things that Ross says in general yeah yeah, when he gets there a bit rapey, things, talk. I'm like, I, I didn't that, like that. Yeah, there are certain things about his character that make him unpalatable. Oh, and vile. yeah, if I'd seen, if I'd read the book first, I'm not sure if I would have been able to bring myself to watch the film. Because of However, him and this scene, the other scene. Mostly because of that scene. And also yes, because of the hopelessness you feel as you're reading it. Yeah, it's actually quite a depressing story when you think about it because like you do feel like there's absolutely no hope 
for for these people at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think that is one of my it's that the hopelessness, the endless isolation and mm. that scene and obviously Ross's character in general. I honestly think that had I read it first, the film would have been a no-go. That's interesting. That's an interesting way to I I I would have watched it. But I get I get where you're coming from. So that's actually quite interesting because we're doing like these crossovers. If you haven't read the book, maybe watch the film first. <laughs> yeah, which is not something you'll hear me say very often. But I do think that I I do believe it has a lot to do with maybe the two of them working together mm. that the particular style and the way that the story was told was gruesome and disturbing in so many ways. I mean, mm. I can cope with King. But I wonder if certain elements of it were Hill's contribution. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think it was a very, for me, it was a very easy read. I'm not a fan of books where you see people, sometimes you see writing of people and it's just like they're trying to sound, I hope this isn't an insult to like Stephen King, but the way he writes, I feel like it's almost a certain element of the way you speak. Like it was very easy to read. I didn't yeah. feel like I had to reread a line and that's what I liked about it. Cause sometimes you get books and you're just like, did you, did you just have a thesaurus open while you were reading this? Like, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just, you know, okay, we get it. You're fancy. And that to me is boring. It's pretentious. Whereas when I read him, I'm like, no, I could sit and chat to Stephen King. I feel like I could have a conversation with him. Whereas some stuff I've read, I'm like, you're so boring because you're trying way too hard. <laughs> but you know, you it's like you're trying to write an essay for uni or something, you yeah. know? But you know what you like. And I think yeah. that that is half of the battle when it comes to finding a good book that you're going or a book that you're going to enjoy. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a good book by everybody's standards. I'm thinking of several yeah. books that I've read that everybody else loved and I really didn't. But it's it's one of those things and not every single person's taste is going to be the same. I found that it was a very well-written book and the images, the imagery that it produced in my head was, I'm glad I wasn't eating. <laughs> you know what I will say though, and this is going to be an absolute massive compliment to you, right? Yes. I grew up with my mom and dad, my brother, three massive readers. I mean, massive readers, okay? My best mate, Harry, massive reader a lot of my friends massive reader and you're the only person that has got me to read stuff other than true crime and I actually like doing it yay but then we're picking books that are in a genre that you enjoy that honestly that wouldn't make a difference before I've liked horror since I was a teenager since I was a child since I was in single digits but I don't know, you've got me, You because you, you wanted me to come on the podcast, you got me to to do it. And then I was like, oh, I like this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that, well, that's, that's the thing. I, mean, I think the first book, physical book we discussed was Practical Magic. Practical Magic, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. February. You've achieved something nobody else has, Ray. <laughs> and my husband's a massive reader. Massive reader. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just, I don't know. Listen you're to just... the Eisenhorn, ex, um, the Eisenhorn episode 
to yeah. hear Dev talk about one of his favorite books. Or you favorite must be a witch. <laughs> you must be a witch, Ray. <laughs> what sorcery is this? <laughs> I don't know. I've, that's the thing. I speak to people at work quite often else. And the first question I ask them is, what kind of TV shows do you watch? When they say, I don't like reading anything. It's like, well, what kind of TV shows do you watch? Do you enjoy? Mm. And then go from there. And it's finding yeah. the things that you're going to enjoy rather than making it feel as though you have to. And I think the problem always was as kids, not for me, but looking at my brother, my sister, especially, who is not a big reader. And mm. she really, really did not like reading at all. Mm. And I loaned her books that I really wish I'd never picked up in my life ever. The Flowers in the Attic series by Virginia Andrews. I'm not reading that. Yeah. And she read them. But by the time she was reading the second book, I was already round to my third reread and I had to borrow them back. Because Do I they read go them. into detail in that? Um, in the book? Yes. Okay, I don't want to read it. <laughs> There's certain things I will not touch. <laughs> and I'm guessing um, incestuous relationships yes, is one of them. Yes, don't want to know. <laughs> don't want to know. <laughs> I will never do it. Yeah, I mean, those books are... They're on a different level of disturbing, I think, to this particular book by Joe Hill and Stephen King, which is, I think it's very well written. It's mm. short, it moves very fast. And that's something I think helps with reading something with this particular type of content. Yes. If it's fast, it's still very descriptive. It's descriptive yeah. enough that you still get the images in your head if you are that way inclined when it comes to reading because I know not everyone is unfortunately I saw everything in multi in um <laughs> Technicolor <laughs> Dolby digital stereo that was fun um but I think that that's what they intend when they write things like this oh. yeah no I they agree want to give you the nightmares well that's the whole point I think of this particular genre yeah you know you need to you know, I know some people can, and that's fine because, you know, there's certain, there's certain stuff I wouldn't entertain and I do a horror podcast and I read a lot of true crime, but there's still topics I won't go to because they're just too gross. Like, you know, they're too much, um, uh, you know, but this, I find so far with, with Stephen King, I, I find him very easy to read and, uh, like he tells a story the way I want to to read it. Like, you know, I find him very easy to follow. Whereas some books I've read, I'm just like, you know, you bored me. You kind of lose that... me at the start. You know, I'm just like, no, I can't. I, I wouldn't read. I know you can read a book that you're not really enjoying. I wouldn't yeah, be able to do that. Often. I wouldn't be able to do that. If I give me the first maybe five pages, if I was bored out of my head, I'd be gone. I, I've unfortunately I think that that's the way I struggle with the concept or the idea of DNFing a book it's something I really have to fight my, do not finish okay it's book talk um but I I struggle greatly with doing that because I think that I owe it to the author and I also have that fear that perhaps at the end something is going to change so much that I'm going to love it well, a lesson that was taught that a lesson that I suppose was taught to me for that, and maybe I shouldn't be so quick, is when we did the thing, what goes there. Yeah. Um had I not 
been doing that for the podcast, I wouldn't have read, I wouldn't have continued because I thought the first chapter was, it was all technical talk. It just didn't interest me, but then I enjoyed it after that. So maybe I, I need to stop being so impatient and just kind of say, okay, you know, and then just keep with it for a bit longer instead yeah. of giving up so quickly. With novels, a lot of people have the 50 page test obviously with okay. novels rather than novellas because who goes there and this one. Oh, um, yeah, they're short. Cross are very, very short. But yeah. with a longer novel, people have a 50-page test. I have a 100-page test, but then I continue reading because it's like I'm, I'm 100 pages in, I've got 400 well pages go to go, I may as well go on, even though I'm only a fifth of the way through it. I still persevere. It ta- It can take me a lot longer to read a book I'm not enjoying which means that I do end up picking up other books in the interim. But at the yeah. same time, I think that there is something to be said for persevering occasionally because you might yeah. find a diamond in the rough. You might find like that with films. rubbish it was at the beginning, but. Yeah, slightly like with films, TV shows, you know, sometimes it's good to stick with them because they can get, get re- like sex education, the latest season. First episode, I was like, ugh. And then I actually enjoyed the rest of it. Not as good as the other seasons, but had I had my husband not been like, come on, we'll watch it. I wouldn't have gone back to it and actually yeah. ended up enjoying it. That's the thing. There are a lot of um, TV shows, films and books that are exactly like that. The first couple of hundred pages or 150 pages aren't that great. The first one and a half episodes suck and mm. you persevere because you like the characters or you know that it's going to get better and quite often you're rewarded with something that's fantastic sometimes you aren't there are those um Buffy season six um Veronica Mars season three uh you are rewarded with um dross but you just learn to roll with the punches yeah yeah no exactly Exactly. But luckily for us, this one was only 43 pages. So. Yeah, luckily, that's the thing. I mean, it was, as I said, it was very well written. I haven't got any problem with the writing style at all. No. It was just certain elements of the content were kind of unpalatable. Yeah. No, and I get that. I get that. Uh, and I, I get why you wouldn't want to go to, I mean, I would have watched the film still. Yeah, But the film, there were elements of the film, that one particular scene, it just, I was literally sat there going, because I don't think you'd watched it at this stage when I had seen, I think I watched it before you. You did. Yeah. And I think I remember thinking, oh God, race when she sees this. <laughs> That's the thing. I think I, I, I think my biggest issue with the film was the length of it. There was so yeah, much unnecessary expo- It's like one hour, 40 minutes. There's so much, yeah, so much unnecessary exposition because there's two different versions. I think one was one hour 30 and then yeah. there was the extended version, which is the one that's on Netflix at the moment. And oh, it was okay. just unnecessary content. There was so much running around in the grass and calling out and everything else that could have been done as the book showed so much quicker yeah they have to draw out though don't they yeah you see I think it would have made do you remember um tales of the unexpected yeah I think it would have been a good 45 minute tales of the unexpected episode yeah 
but they put all that Travis stuff in, didn't they? And that's kind of what brought it out. Yeah, and a a load of stuff that was the mud people and yes, Yes. all of that was, and the flashbacks and the hallucinations and all of that stuff that was totally unnecessary to the story. Yeah, yeah, but they do that with film, don't they? They when they use a book, they do. Not always. I mean, look at the body and Stand by Me and Misery. Films. Yeah. Great films. Exactly. And they didn't really extend the stories that much. I mean, Misery was actually, they cut bits out of the film because they knew that they couldn't use them. Did we do the book for Misery? We did, didn't we? We did as we did indeed. We did the book, then we did the film and see, but I think you audioed that one. I ordered a book yet there, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad I read it though. I will say yeah. that. Yeah. So what's your what's the next book on your list? Carrie. <laughs> so going from horror to horror. Oh, that's all I'm probably gonna do. <laughs> I couldn't do romantic ones. Oh my god, I wouldn't have the patience for that rubbish. Jesus. No, I love a good chick flip, but there's no way I could sit down and read a romantic book. Romantic, no romance no no and i think that um science fiction would be a bit too scientific yeah it depends how much maybe you can give me a list of books that don't go too much into the science of the science fiction i I think i think that uh, one of the things that we talked about in that when we were talking about who goes there was that the style that was used was very very similar to the beginning of michael crichton's jurassic park with the mm. discussion about DNA and genetics. Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's where he got the inspiration from. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I don't um yeah, I'll be, so, I I'm probably going to stick with. I'm going to get a, I'm going to actually go through his books actually because I'm actually really enjoying Stephen King's stuff. So I think I'm going to just keep with him for now and then I'll ask you about the next one. Deb yeah. used to read someone um oh Dean Koontz. Dean Koontz is a horror. Yeah, horror. He wrote Phantoms, which is a good one. It's another isolation horror with um, weird creatures. So kind of thing-ish. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna go get some more of his, and then uh, they're very big though. Koontz. I'm not doing the big ones. It. Oh, tunes. Yeah. No, I got a limit, man. (laughs) Koontz (laughs) likes his big thick books, but there are. I mean, Herbert. James Herbert writes quite his aren't his are probably around I'd say 200 300 pages but have you anyone... ever read any Grisham John Grisham yes but I'm not a massive fan of the political thriller style book yeah. it's not yeah. really my thing but if anybody yeah. has any suggestions or recommendations for authors that write in a Stephen King short story-esque style send them on over let me know <laughs> Maybe I'll start my own horror book podcast. <laughs> One episode every seven months. <laughs> oh, good grief! Uh, that would, yeah, that would um, you could do that as a series within Once Upon a Nightmare. But thank you ever so much for coming on and talking about this. Uh, I don't think I'd have read it had we not discussed look, uh, watching the film and then doing this afterwards. See, I'm opening you up to other things too. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I do. Read, yeah, I do read King, but I haven't read as much of him 
in recent years at all. That's because of me, basically. I'm yeah. making you do it. You are making me do the, the Stephen King reading his newer works because I think that I stopped reading his books in about 1993. Yeah, I've heard a few people say that, actually. I think yeah. the last one, actually, no, it was 1996 when I read um, The Green Mile when it was published as a series of six yeah. books. Or was it, it might have been seven books. They came as individual parts. Yeah. Oh, oh well. well. At least we're we're both doing stuff out of our comfort zone. We are indeed. So thank you for coming on. Where can people find you? Uh, I am on, uh, where am I? Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare podcast and threads is the same. And I'm on Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare and you can email me as onceuponanightmarepod at gmail.com. And I'm on every uh, podcast platform as Once Upon a Nightmare podcast or Once Upon a Nightmare. Well, there you go. That was a quick summary. And again, I'm going to say it again. Thank you so much for coming on and for reading In the Tall Grass with me. If you want to hear us talk about the film, that episode will be following after this one. And Once Upon a Nightmare is released every tuesday yes and there is a very very large back catalogue of true crime and horror films for you to enjoy including most recently a series of john carpenter films yes october john carpenter month loving it there you go well that's it for this week thank you for listening if you like what you hear why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on apple podcasts spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen you can follow me on instagram and threads as being bookish pod on tiktok as being bookish reviews and on x which I still call Twitter, as being underscore bookish, though I've been a little quieter on all socials as of late. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and I am really hoping that Waterstones pulls through and delivers my copy of Iron Flame as that is the book I am hoping to be talking about. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.